Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Whether God uses us, you and me, individually, or if God uses us as a church collectively, or if God happens to use our family of churches around the world, we can never lose sight that it's always by grace. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, in a message titled, God Makes It Grow. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. The word here, the the Greek word, and I'm using the NIV, as some of you remember, the word is really literally fleshly. Some translations translate it carnal. Carnal means fleshly. But the idea in being carnal or fleshly is that you're behaving like everybody else. You're behaving like the people in the world who are not spiritual people in the sense that they're not born of God's spirit. So that's what he is talking about when he says he could not address them as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly. And then he says, mere infants in Christ. So he calls them babies. (laughs) This is a very nice way of saying you're a bunch of babies. (laughs) Now, he says, I gave you milk. See, they're complaining. They're saying, oh, Paul's message is so simplistic. He says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Again, in other words, aren't you just acting like everybody else acts? This is the the way of the world. This is what people do. People who don't have the spirit. But his point is, look, you have the Spirit. So how is it that you're acting like you don't have the Spirit? Now, in verse 5, he goes on and he says, What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each task. I love verse 6. I planted a seed... Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So if we kind of remember the the history of the church there, we read about it in the beginning in Acts chapter 18, the church is established. Paul is the one who planted the seed. Paul is the one who went to Corinth and preached the gospel and a church developed. 
Apollos was someone who came along later. Now, what we learn about Apollos by looking at the bigger picture of him in Scripture is that Apollos was very, very eloquent. He was an Alexandrian Jew. Alexandria was an epicenter of intellectualism. And so Apollos was one of those people who was brilliant and an excellent communicator. So Apollos comes in and he makes a contribution. Paul's laid the foundation. Paul's planted the seed. Apollos comes along and he watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. So remember, Paul's just trying to move them away from this competitive, weird thing that they've developed amongst them, this this party spirit where I'm of Paul. Oh, well, I'm of Apollos. Oh, well, I'm of Peter. He's trying to move them away by pointing them to the fact that, look, this whole thing is of God. This is all about God. And then he says in verse 8, the one who plants and the one who waters, he's talking about himself and Apollos, have one purpose. And they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we, myself and Apollos, are co-workers in God's service. You see, Paul's like, you know, maybe in your minds you think that Apollos and I are in some sort of competition. Maybe in your minds you've developed this scenario where we really don't even like each other. And maybe you think I'm jealous of Apollos because he speaks so well or he's jealous of me because I was the one who planted the church. Uh, you know, Paul is saying this is all in your heads. We, Apollos and I, we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And then verse 10, Paul expresses his awareness of how it is that he is used by God. And this would apply to Apollos and everyone else. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation. So Paul is completely aware that It's not because of him that the Corinthian church exists. It's not because of him that these Christians are progressing, albeit ever so slowly, some of them, in their faith. This is all back to God. It's all back to the grace of God. So this is Paul's word to them. Now, what does this say to us today? It's, it's always important, as we pointed out before, it's important to see what it said to them and what it meant first and foremost to their situation. But then, of course, we want to apply it to our own experience. So let's take those things and walk through them looking for the application to us today. So... Let's talk about just this whole idea 
of the fact that they were worldly. They were fleshly. And this brings up the question about a worldly Christian or as it has sometimes been expressed because of other ways it's translated, the carnal Christian. What is a carnal Christian? Now, maybe that's something that you've thought about. Maybe it's something that you've heard of, but you weren't quite sure what people were referring to. Maybe this thought has never crossed your mind. A worldly Christian. I think probably most of us have thought about that. Most of us have probably looked at somebody and maybe even thought, no, they're, they're so worldly. We might even look at ourselves occasionally and think, I'm, I'm worldly. So what is a carnal Christian? Is it a Christian who enjoys a glass of wine or beer? Is it a Christian who listens to secular music? Is it a Christian who drives an expensive car? Is it a Christian who wears stylish or trendy clothes? Is it a Christian whose body is tattooed and pierced? Is it a Christian who watches Netflix? (laughs) Could be. Could be, yet someone might do all these things and not be worldly at all, according to Paul's definition of worldliness. See, this is the problem. Oftentimes, we take the things that might or might not be carnal and label them as carnal or worldly, And the things that are absolutely unequivocally carnal and worldly, things like Paul's dealing with here, division, jealousy, gossip, strife, quarreling, we don't give much thought to those things being a problem at all. This, my friends, is a reality in the Christian church and has been a battle and a struggle forever all the way back to the first century. But this is a reality, and and it's a reality today. Now, secondly, so as we saw, Paul goes on and he emphasizes his partnership with Apollos. So as a heading, let me just say this. We, We need to remember this. Gospel ministry is a team effort. Gospel ministry is a team effort. The Corinthians, they, in their carnality, they want to, you know, isolate the different groups. And I'm of Paul, as we saw, I'm of Apollos. And Paul is going out of his way to say, no. Apollos and I are on the same team. We're not competing with each other. One plants, one waters, God makes it grow. And he says, planters and waterers have one purpose. We have the same purpose. If the church could ever get this, which I honestly am not that hopeful about, because it seems like it's just repeated over and over again from generation to generation, 
But if we could just ever get that, we have one purpose. We are co-workers in God's service. It's a team effort. Now, some have asked why we as Calvary Chapel, why do we partner with Saddleback Church and Community Outreach? For some people, that is really bothersome that we do that. Some wonder and have asked, why do we work together? Like, for example, with our festival in the UK, Creation Fest. Why do we work with Anglicans and Methodists and Baptists and Pentecostals and Presbyterians and Catholics? Why why do you do that? Well, the simple answer is that we're all on the same team. We're all members of the same body. We're all on the same mission. A better question might be, why wouldn't you want to partner with fellow believers, kingdom citizens, and members of the family of God? See, that's a better question. You see, Paul understands that this church in Corinth, which is, is an amazing story in and of itself and has a tremendous potential to have a great impact, he understands that this kind of stuff, this division and these petty party kinds of things, Paul understands this will wreck the work of God. This will prevent the work of God from moving forward. So how do we avoid this? Well, we avoid it by adopting Paul's understanding of things. And what was that? We saw it in verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation. See, Paul never lost sight of the fact that Everything he did was just simply a manifestation of God's grace to him. You know, at one point, because, you know, Paul was always being attacked and he was always, his motives were always being questioned and, you know, people accused him of all different kinds of things. And, and at one point he says, regarding the other apostles, because they were oftentimes comparing him with the other apostles, he said, You know, it's almost kind of like in a little bit of frustration, maybe. You know, look, I labored more than all of them. And the truth of the matter is he did. But then he adds this. But it was not I, but the grace of God in me. So Paul would always come back to that reality that it was the grace of God that was at work. Whether God uses us, you and me, individually, or if God uses us as a church collectively, or if God happens to use our family of churches around the world, we can never lose sight that it's always by grace. It will always be of grace. In the fourth chapter, the seventh verse, Paul 
asked them this question. He said, who makes you different than anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as though you did not? See, we so easily forget. We so easily forget that, but for the grace of God, there go I down the wrong path. But for the grace of God, where, where would I be? So in the end, if, if I start to take credit, if I start to credit my movement, or if I start to think that somehow there's something in us that has warranted this blessing, I, I'm on the wrong path if I start thinking that way. Now, I want to quote to you from the preface of a book called Calvary Distinctives. It's a book that we published, and it asks these questions and then answers them. What is it that makes Calvary Chapel different from other Bible-believing evangelical churches? God has done a wonderful work of balance in the Calvary Chapel movement that does make us different. It is this balance that makes Calvary Chapel a distinct and uniquely blessed movement of God. This is wrong on several levels. But where it's most obviously wrong is that it is attributing God's blessing on Calvary Chapel to something we did. Something we did better than others. What did we do? We struck a balance that God couldn't help but bless. No. My friends, that is not the reason there's been a blessing upon Calvary Chapel. There's one reason only, and that had nothing to do with any man or any method. It's called grace. By the grace God gave, Calvary Chapel was blessed, and it will be by grace and grace alone that God's blessing continues upon Calvary Chapel in the years to come. Now, that is very subtle, but underneath that are the seeds of division. Because what it's basically saying is that we have been blessed above others, uniquely blessed. You know what the word unique means? It means not having any like or equal. So the idea is here that in all the church world, there's nothing quite like Calvary Chapel. See, that's wrong. Now, I used to think that. And then I got out of my little box and started seeing that, wow, the church is much bigger than I ever thought it was. We have got to, we have got to get beyond this. Let's never forget, it's the grace of God, period. Not the grace of God plus. It's the grace of God, period. 
So let's never forget that. The moment we do forget it, inevitably, we start to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We put ourselves in a special category and inadvertently divide the body of Christ. We then end up like the Corinthians, carnal, fleshly, worldly. In speaking of what it looks like to maintain this right perspective about God's grace, St. Augustine said this. He said, this way is first humility, second humility, third humility. And however often you should ask me, I would say the same, not because there are no other precepts to be explained, but if humility does not proceed, accompany, and follow every good work we do, and if it is not set before us to look upon, beside us to lean upon, and behind us to fence us in, pride will wrest from our hand any good thing we do while we are in the very act of taking pleasure in it. And you know what humility says? Humility says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Humility says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation. See, that was Paul, he, he understood that, and, and we need to understand that. So I believe, I really do, believe God will do many wonderful things in the days ahead. I believe that. It's just God's grace that brings blessing. And so in the end, it will be because God is good and according to his own will and purposes, he decided in his love, mercy, and grace to visit us poor, needy sinners with unearned, undeserved blessings. It always has been and always will be God who makes it grow. God who makes it grow. And listen, wherever you see growth, wherever you see fruit, Wherever you see people coming to Jesus and their lives being transformed, rejoice in it. Praise the Lord for it. Pray that God will pour out an even greater blessing on it. Thank him for what he's doing. Because, hey, our team's winning. It's all part of, we're on the same team. It's a great, great thing. And that is the perspective that we must maintain if we hope to see the grace of God poured out among us. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. Hi, Pastor Brian here. One of my 
favorite subjects is that of apologetics. And it's so important to know what we believe and to also know why we believe what we believe. So I want to recommend a fantastic book, a book by Paul E. Little that is called Know Why You Believe. And this book's been around for quite a few years And he does just a real great job in simply laying out arguments for why we believe in God, why we believe Jesus rose from the dead, why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. And I think that this is something that every Christian ought to educate themselves in. So I want to recommend Paul E. Little's book, Know Why You Believe. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little. You can order the book Know Why You Believe by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Know Why You Believe by Paul E. Little. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.